Wordslingers, welcome back to another week of the Wordslinger podcast. Now, do you collaborate? And if so, have you ever tried to collaborate with your spouse or significant other? We're going to be talking about just that very thing today in the Wordslinger podcast, so stick around and find out what happens. It's the Wordslinger podcast, where story matters. Build your brand. Write your book. Redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger. Word slinger. Well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger. Uh, you should know me by now. Now, I am, uh, I'm real thrilled to talk to today's guests. Um, these are a couple of, they've, they've, they've been around. They've been in the business. They know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. I'm talking to Jason Pfeiffer and Jennifer Miller. Um, Jennifer is a contributor uh, with the New York Times and the Washington Post. So she's got that going for her. And uh, Jason is the editor. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. So a bunch of stuff I read, a bunch of stuff you probably read, you've probably seen their work. Now, what's interesting is uh, now they they've got they're writers in their own right. Uh, Jennifer's got some books out there. The two of them decide to collaborate on a sort of dark romantic comedy, and um, it's uh, the results I think are interesting. Uh, what I like about this this chat, we get a sort of inside view of uh, what these two went through. Uh, even though they already had publishing careers, they already had agents, they already had a lead into the industry. We tend to think. That that's enough. Once you've once you've hit those marks, you've made it. But the facts are that what they're doing is very indie now because they essentially had to start over. They actually had to uh, reconfigure what they were doing, figure out a new way to make this happen. So what they've done is they've had to find new agents, a new agent, uh, go through the process all over again. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of that. But what I really dig is when we start talking about how they're marketing the work. It sounds very much like what a lot of indie authors are doing. So these are traditionally published authors putting indie to work for them uh, in their uh, marketing practices and in the uh, the overall uh, sort of work that they've produced. Uh, they are very much traditional, though, so there's something to learn from this for every type of author who's listening to this show. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you dig this. There's also, uh, some, we talk about collaboration uh, between uh, two marri a married couple, uh, which is something, you know, collaboration is, isn't, it's tough at the best of times <laughs> collaborating with, uh, another writing partner, uh, you know, whether they're a stranger or that you've just been introduced to, which happens, or if you, uh, have known this person for years, that's always tough. There's always this level of challenge and difficulty. So it's going to be interesting to hear how these two as a married couple managed to do it. I can't work with my wife. I just can't. We can't work together. <laughs> so this is interesting. So stick around. Enjoy this interview. And of course, stick around on the other side. I'm going to be talking about uh, a writing process. And I'm also going to give you a little glimpse into what I learned going through Dan Brown's uh, master class. So stick around after the interview for that. And I'll see you all on the other side. Hey, thanks for tuning in, sticking around through the intro. Uh, today, this is one of those episodes where we have multiple guests uh, on at one time. We always have a lot of fun with those. This time, I promise you'll be able to tell everybody apart. That's the number one complaint I get uh, when I have multiple guests is that nobody, nobody knows who is who. But I'm talking to 
Jason Pfeiffer and Jennifer Miller. They're the married authors of the novel, Mr. Nice Guy, which we're going to talk about. Uh, Jennifer's a contributor to the New York Times and Washington Post, among other publications. And Jason is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, a magazine that I happen to read. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to have, uh, I read the Washington Post and New York Times too. I'm a little hoity-toity that way. Uh, so thanks for being on the show, guys. Thanks oh, hey, for thanks having for having us. us. And, and thanks for being a reader of Entrepreneur. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Now, maybe I can cop a free subscription now. Let's, I think we uh, can set that up. We'll talk about that later. So uh, first up, well, I mean, you guys are, I like how you, uh, you emphasized that you are the married authors of uh, Mr. Mr. Nice Guy. Why don't we talk about the book here? Uh, what, so what is the, uh, the sort of premise of the novel? We'll start there. Sure, yeah. So Mr. Nice Guy is about two people who every week sleep together and then critically review each other's performance in a magazine. So it's a romantic comedy. It's set against the backdrop of New York City publishing. Jason and I both come from um, long, long magazine and newspaper careers. Um, and it's really about um, what happens when two people are forced to be totally honest about the thing that nobody wants to be honest. About. <laughs> it's like the real world for sex. Is yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Though also, you know, for for we should stress for a audience of writers, it's also very much about ambition and working in a high pressure and high ego environment, uh, as, such as uh, New York magazines are, and the the struggles and ambitions of our characters who all want to be and are writers of some very variation but aren't really the kinds of writers that they wish they were right right which tends to be all writers yeah (laughs) that's right (laughs) like every writer i've ever known in my entire life myself included is never the writer that they really wish they were yeah (laughs) so it's a a life of suffering it's a life of suffering yeah so where so where did this come from i'm i'm imagining you guys are sitting in your apartment maybe one evening uh, talking about work and decide, you know, wouldn't it be funny if a, if a book about topic X existed? Am I kind of on the right track? So you're on the right track of things that we do. We have a lot of conversations in which we just throw out a premise and then see if right. we can try to logic our way through what would happen. That is not actually how this one started, though. This one started many, many, many years ago prior to Jen and I knowing each other. When I was in my mid-20s and I was I was just starting out really, uh, I think I might have still been working at community newspapers, but I was doing some freelancing for magazines. And a lot of that, that happened to be in the sex and relationships arena, which was by pure accident. But I had gotten this piece of advice at at an early age, which was um, to specialize, like that, that I had to specialize in something. And so I decided that I would specialize in whatever the subject matter was of the first big piece that I landed, which happened to be in Salon.com sex section, back when Salon.com was well-funded and also had a sex section. And so um, that's why I was writing a whole bunch of these pieces. And a sex columnist saw some of my stuff and reached out to ask for advice on freelancing and pitching and all that stuff. And so we, we started up a correspondence that went on for about a year, totally professional, never sexy. But in 
corresponding with this sex columnist, the premise popped into my head. What would happen if two people each week slept together and then critically reviewed each other's performance in a magazine? And I didn't know what to do with it. And I am not a fiction writer. I'm a nonfiction writer. I tried and failed a couple of times to write this thing myself and told Jen about it while we were dating. And she encouraged me to write it. And I struggled to and ultimately failed again. And so when Jen sold her most recent prior to this one novel, which was called The Heart You Carry Home, she was looking for a new project. She asked me what she thought I should do, what, what I thought she should do next. And I said, write my novel, write this thing that I've been carrying around that I'm never going to do myself. And she said, well, let's do it together. And that is how the project began. Yeah. That, as origin stories go, that's when I would have, I, I applaud. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's interesting though. I mean, I, you know, uh, I know of a few people who, I, I don't know quite how to describe them without it sounding a little cheesy, but who write about sex. We'll just say that. That's the cleanest sure. way to say that. Uh, I, I don't think any of them have ever thought about fiction writing, though. So. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a very different. About that. Yeah, it's a very, very different approach to it. Uh, one that I uh, am more comfortable with, frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because. I, there was a time when, you know, in your 20s, you'll write about anything to try to get a pie. It's all oversharing. <laughs> yeah, it's all oversharing, right? And, uh, and I'm not really, also at this point, you know, we're married. Nobody, nobody wants to, nobody wants that. So my, que my question, if <laughs> I were interviewing, if I were interviewing the two people who are rate, rating their sex lives, I would yeah. ask them, how are you keeping this scale going? Like, you know, what are the criteria and how do you keep each week interesting and unique? Well, that's such a great question. I don't think we've gotten that question before. Um, okay, well, so there's a few things. The first is that, um, is that they, the two characters don't, don't jump right into bed with each other. They kind, of, uh, they kind of work up to it. So the first couple of columns, and I should say all the columns between Lucas and Carmen, our protagonists, are, are in the book. Um, and that's really where most of the sex sex happens is, you know, in their descriptions. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to look at some of the stuff that happens before sex. So, you know, how would you critique kissing in an interesting way? Um, how would you critique yeah. different types of touch in an interesting way? Um, I mean, Jason actually came up with this really great um, metaphor comparing kissing to, um, to, to jazz <laughs> as a way okay. uh -huh. for Carmen to um, basically tell Lucas that he's a bad kisser. <laughs> um, so, so there were a lot of opportunities, like creative opportunities for us to, you know, think of interesting ways to kind of break sex down into its components and figure out how we were going to talk about, you know, each one. Um, the other thing is that at a certain point in the book, the, the two writers start getting challenges from the editor-in-chief of the magazine. So they'll have to have sex in a public place or they'll have to have sex, like they're in a hotel room and this like massive cart full of dessert rolls in and they, you know, have to make, make good use of that. There's, um, there's a great scene in the book involving a remote control vibrator. So, um, so also by kind of issuing these challenges, um, you know, to our characters, it presented interesting challenges for us in terms of, you know, how are, how are they going to talk about sex and have sex differently every time it happened? Yeah. 
Okay, so but the title is Mr. Nice Guy. So where does that come in? Why is it why is it focused on the I'm assuming that's the male protagonist we're talking about, or is this the uh the remote control vibrator? <laughs> that <laughs> would be a amazing. great name for a sex toy. <laughs> that's a perfect name for the sex toy. Uh that's really funny. We should um we should tell Adam and Eve about that. Uh so uh no, so you know, it's funny, the name of the book from the time that I thought of it up until the time that we had an agent <laughs> was screw the critics. And the reason for that is because that was the, that's the name of the column that the two characters write. It's called screw the critics. That's the, you know, in the magazine inside the world of the book. But, uh, and, and I always thought it was, yeah, it was clever. Cause you know, they're the critics and they're screwing each other, screw yeah. the critics. But <laughs> our agent very, I think rightly, we both think rightly, I realize that that isn't communicative. It doesn't tell you what kind of book it's going to be. It doesn't speak to an audience. It could be too many things. Yeah. And Lucas, the the male columnist in, in our book, he is anonymous for most of the book. I mean, you know, you you the reader know who's who he is, but the world of readers inside the book do not. And he goes by nice guy. And so that is where she came up. Our agent came up with the the name Mister Nice Guy, which uh, we we both loved. I, I just thought it, you know, it's it speaks to something. It, it you you hear Mister Nice Guy and you know it's going to be a book about relationships or dating or something. It just sort of it yeah. takes you into at least the the ballpark, which um, which was more than Screw the Critics was doing. So I thought we thought it was a good choice. Yeah, I'm getting a kind of Hitch vibe, you know, something yeah. along those lines. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. I, used, I haven't seen Hitch. Have you seen Hitch, Jason? I did, but it was it was a it was a while ago. Um, Probably I remember he was he was a dating coach, right? Yeah, he was a dating coach. Yeah, Who falls yeah. In love? Who falls in love? Happen. Right, 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 right. So he's right, yeah, right. he's the. I mean, very so, somewhat similar to Carmen in that he's the he's the guy who's telling people what to what to do, but doesn't really have it together himself. Right. 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 Well, we also have a we have a sex coach in the book. So yes, we do. <laughs> so so Lucas, who is the who is the less experienced one, um, both as a writer and also performance wise in bed, um, he he falls into to a second relationship with a woman um, who um, actually volunteers to basically teach him how to do things that. Uh, he doesn't know how to do in order to help him one up Carmen every week when they have this rendezvous. Okay. All right. This, this sounds like uh, the kind of book I, I'd read in a nice relaxing bath. Um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what, uh, what about uh, research? I mean, what, uh, <laughs> man, I don't even know if I want to open this can of worms. What, <laughs> what kind of research did you guys do for the, uh, the book about sex between a couple? Yeah, well, so the the I mean the the bore the the boring but honestly more truthful answer is that we, the book really draws from our experience yeah. dating and starting out in a world of New York magazines when we were young and we were getting invited to all these crazy parties and we had the time to actually go to them. We have a three and a half year old now, so we're not going to many parties anymore, and so. I spent a lot of time, and I mean, Jen can speak to her own uh, research and experience. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about my past experiences and mm -hmm. what I learned from them and what I was like at the time, because the character of Lucas in particular is drawn a lot from my own experiences at that time. Mm -hmm. And putting that into context and making sense of it and 
trying to search for those details that I might have missed. Uh, I mean, we certainly talked a lot about relationships and our own and pulled from bits and pieces of our lives, but it wasn't like, because, you know, this is not, we should be very clear with, with your audience. This is not like a Harlequin thing, right? Like there's no, there's no, no heaving bosoms yeah, in this. There's no, this book. is not a romance. Like despite, yeah. despite the best efforts of our publisher, this is not right. a romance right. novel. Nothing, um, nothing quivers. Right. Nothing no, quivers. No, no, nothing not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we did not want to make the, the list of worst sex writing awards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, this is definitely. very, I mean, I think that you can think of this like sex in the city, right? Like there's okay. a lot of, it's sort of yeah, oriented yeah. around sex, but it's not a, it's not a porno. You know what I mean? Like right, it's, right. A, it's a romantic comedy. And it's not cheesy either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, there's so, not so much like sex in the city. <laughs> it's a satire, people. A satire. Yeah. So, satire. Right. so, but anyway, but because of that, it wasn't like we were like hopping in the sack and then, and then splitting up and, uh, and doing our writing. That just, that wouldn't have served the purpose. But, um, but I definitely, I definitely spent a lot of time thinking about my dating experiences when, when pulling this together. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very, it's a rich topic. I'll give you that one. I mean, it's uh, it's one that I, I can see there being all sorts of interesting, uh, like awkward moments. How do you take notes? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When we deal a lot notes. with that in there. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. And how much do you share? So yeah, I, I, that's that's fantastic. So um, you guys uh, went and uh, I I, I kind of prefaced our chat by telling you I, I have a largely indie audience, uh, so independent and self published authors primarily. Um, but they're always interested in the process of uh, the traditional side of things. So where did things start? You guys had an idea. Did you write the book first or did you pitch it first? How, how did this progress? Yeah. So, um, so, so the way that, so this is actually my third, my third novel, my fourth book. Um, okay. And the way that it's generally work for fiction, um, you know, you write the, you write the whole book first and then you try to sell it, <laughs> which is which is what we did. Um, we we did we did after we finished a draft that we were happy with. We did send it out. Um, so I had an agent uh, for my other books, and Jason actually has an agent. Um, he hasn't. Um, they haven't collaborated on anything yet, but they. He, it's an agent who takes me out to lunch every once in a while at this. Yeah. Point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I it was really important that we had the right agent for this book because mm -hmm. this is Mr. Nice Guy is a very commercial book. Um, right. The 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 books, the novels that I have written previously, kind of fell more squarely into the literary fiction genre, and so. And Jason's agent, you know, at this point primarily does nonfiction. So we really needed to find the right agent. So that, that was the kind of our first task. And so we had finished a draft. We sent the book around to, um, to a bunch of agents. We had gotten in touch with a, actually with a, a TV and film producer, sent the book to them. And um, we got a bunch of rejections with, um, with some really interesting feedback, some of which, and this is the important thing to look out for, some of which overlapped. So, yeah. um, so we really took that feedback into consideration. And essentially what the feedback was, you know, this is a great premise for a book. Um, you know, the first two thirds of the book is working really well, but the final third doesn't have the, doesn't have the um, trajectory and the payoff that, you know, that it should, could have. So we, you know, so we, we took that into consideration. We replotted the final third of the book and spent another year or so writing it. And then we 
went out looking for an agent again and we were lucky enough to lock one down. So that was kind of the process of, of getting to that point. Um, and Jason, you, you guys, wanna, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Jason, if you want to throw something in, I mean, I, 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 no, no, I can hold yeah, my I, So uh, I would just, uh, um, no, I don't know. I, I, you can, uh, well, I'll just, because I have the floor, I'll add uh, one detail, which um, perhaps people will find interesting, which is that the reason that the original set of agents and producer did not, um, thought that the, the last third didn't work was because we had spent the first two thirds of this book really developing the relationship between Lucas and Carmen. And then in the final third, they get split up. Uh, circumstances in the book uh, and the kind of bad guy in the book ends up splitting them up. And so you don't see them together as much. And the relationship that you became invested in in the first two thirds of the book becomes something very different. And I think that they felt that was unsatisfying. And so a lot of what we had to do was think about how to retain the ultimate trajectory of what we wanted in the last part of the book, but do it with Lucas and Carmen together, where they and their relationship were more central to the plot and to how it unfolds. And that was uh, it was a challenge, but you know it was interesting. I I mean the way I I almost thought of it in this I almost thought of it in this like visual way. It was like it was like you know if you if you were to <laughs> this is sort of graphic, but if you were to like chop off an arm, right? Uh, you would have um, you'd have like a bunch of veins and bone and stuff right and then you you would have things that you just start building out from them like i was just trying to think okay well what have we built to in the by the by the by the second third of the book like what what exists what are the characters doing where are they what have we set up and then how can we just continue that and maybe this character uh we originally thought was going to go this way but actually he can go that way and by doing that he can move lucas and carmen back towards each other. Like, I, I was just trying to think of what assets had we created in the first two thirds of the book that we could utilize in maybe different ways, but that we had set ourselves up for a different kind of success. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how I thought of it. No, that makes sense. I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone ever describe story structure in terms of mutilated anatomy before. Think... <laughs> yeah, that was pretty gross, Jason. <laughs> That's really, I, I mean, that is always how I thought of it. I always yeah. thought of it as a, as a cutoff arm. And then you're that's, rebuilding the arm. You know, you got to rebuild awesome. the arm. No, no. I'm a thriller author, man. I'm, I may steal that metaphor entirely. Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> so how much of a benefit do you think, do you, uh, or an advantage, I guess, would be a better way to describe it? I mean, how, how much of an advantage do you think you had because of your existing uh, publishing experience in that in New York, where everything seems to happen? Well, our existing experience as writers allowed us to write the book. That's a good, <laughs> so, That's a good start. <laughs> so I was, you know, so we had, we had, we had all the material, certainly. Um, and then, and then in terms of finding an agent, um, I think that, yeah, it, you know, so we've lived in, we've lived in New York. Um, I've been here since 2006. Jason has been here since 2008. Um, and, and I think that, you know, at least for on, on my end, like having, having already published a couple of books and having connections, um, you know, in the industry, I mean, part of the, part of the way that we were able to, that we came to are, you know, that we were able to send the book out to agents and, and get good feedback from them was right. going to people that we already knew in the industry and having a foot in the door to actually, you know, have these agents 
open the email, read the query and, um, you know, and then agree to, to read the book, which, you know, makes the process a lot easier. Of course, it doesn't mean that they are going to agree to work with you as was demonstrated right. the first time around when we, right. you know, basically got a full slate of rejections. Um, but then in the end, um, the way that we found our agent, um, I guess was partly New York related, but also just happenstance. We were, Jason and I, a couple of years ago, were um, flying back from London and we, our plane, our flight was canceled. We ended up on a bus with everybody from the plane on the way to an airport, uh, airport hotel. And we started chatting with a guy who just seemed really friendly on the bus. And, um, you know, we're like, where are you from? Brooklyn. Oh, we're from Brooklyn. Oh, what neighborhood? Brooklyn Heights. Oh, I'm from Brooklyn Heights. What do you do? I'm an author. Oh, I'm an author. <laughs> and it turned out that we live down the street from this guy. He's a, he's a very successful uh, middle grade, middle grade author. Um, yeah. and Joe, might, as well show, might as well give him a shout out. Adam Gidwitz. Adam Gidwitz. Adam, Adam yeah. He's, we love you, Adam. Um, Look for him on a future episode of the words. <laughs> um, Adam send him my card. Who initial, who, who then, you know, n a number of years later we kept in touch with him um introduced us to the woman who would become our agent and oh. that's how that happened so i guess because we we lived in brooklyn but you know also it's just a lot of luck and chance that goes into it <laughs> yeah there well, you go, yeah you I, have to I, live I, in brooklyn yeah well luck and <laughs> luck and chance but also um being really good at relationships i mean i think one thing that people comment to us on all the time is the network that we have which right. is very large and it's that is not because of any special sauce right that is just because we keep in touch with people and we invite right. people over to our over to our homes and we email them when we see that they do great work like we just I, we are both very, very community and relationship oriented. And that means that you uh, just accumulate people who want to help you. Uh, it's not the reason that we do it, but it is, a, it is an extreme benefit of it. Yeah. Uh, when you hear, uh, especially on my side of things, you hear people talk about an author's uh, platform a lot. And we almost always think that that's exclusively the readers, but that platform extends in the other direction as well, that network of resources uh yeah you know, editors and publishers and agents and that sort of thing yeah yeah and and i you know i mean i can appreciate that if if you know you have a listener who is not does not live in new york does not have the kind of network that we have and and you know you hear our story and you say well it's so much easier for you to get the agent and all that and, and that's right. that's fair i can appreciate that but you know i'll also appreciate that neither of us came from this it's not like our it's not like we were born into the media world in New York, right? Like right. We, we're neither of us are from New York. We both came, you know, we, we both had a, had a desire to make it in this industry. And, um, and we scrapped our way up from nothing. I, I, I you know, I started in community newspapers, uh, writing for like nobody, you know, yeah. multiple jobs, um, and just sending pitches out into the nothing and doing that, you know, for for you know, I've been I've been now at it for 15 years, which is why I or thereabouts, which is why I am where I am. And Jen has a, a different but similar trajectory of being totally outside of it, and, and you know, just trying to come in. And I should also say, by the way, um, totally random, but if you hear a siren, I apologize. My office is on a very busy corner of New York City, and there's no way to escape. <laughs> no, see, that's siren. authenticity. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're, you're yeah. throwing in some authenticity. Into yeah, it. there it is. It's the it's it's just nonstop. There's not there's always some emergency blaring down 7th Ave. Anyway, so um, 
so, you know, we just did it. We did it slowly, methodically. Um, and there are people, I mean, we had our book launch and uh, on Tuesday uh, of when we're talking and there were people from our earliest days there who we've, who, who we've been in touch with just forever. And it's, it's all about just meeting and connecting and putting yourself out there and thinking of it as a very, very long game. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to think of it. I, I, that's the thing. The, the, everything you just said is kind of what I want authors to, to focus on. And uh, that's the idea that you didn't start off, you know, and you didn't start off as a success. You had to build there. And even, uh, even though you had resources, you couldn't just fall back on those. Like you could just fall back on your position with, you know, your various magazines and publications and know that you were going to be successful. You had to beat, beat that, that dirt path uh, the same way everyone else does. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 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 Right. I, I mean, you just have to, you just have to remember that just because somebody's standing somewhere doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot of ground to cover and, and stumbles along the way to getting there. Right. That's great. So what's, uh, do, are you involved at all in the, uh, well, you are, we're going to, we're going to call this part of this, but are you involved in all in the overall marketing of the book uh, beyond just doing interviews and a sort of press junket kind of thing? We, I mean, we are, we the, are marketing. the marketing. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's, that's where I'm we, getting. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are the marketing of the book. So, I mean, we, so we, just the two of us, but like on our own fuel have lined up roughly 30 podcasts. Um, most of the press that we have received for the book um, has come because we built relationships um, with, you know, with people who could connect us to, you know, basically like getting in touch with the right people to get the to get someone to open your emails essentially. Right. Um, so, um, I mean, and even just to, you know, give your, give your listeners like one small example, Jason. So there's a, there's a website called ask a reporter. Um, yeah. and, and Jason happened to see a request come in, um, from a, from a woman, um, who was looking for Brooklyn based authors who had their books in the Brooklyn book festival, um, for okay. a story that she was writing. Now we were not at the Brooklyn book festival. Our book had not come out yet. So it was too, you know, we wouldn't have been able to, to do that. But Jason said, this woman looks like she writes for a bunch of places. Why don't you follow up with her and yes. see what she's up to? Yeah. Um, and so I did. And, you know, we weren't able to help her with that specific story, but I was like, let's have coffee. Let's, uh, you know, let's get together and talk books. Yeah. And we did. And, um, and she ended up uh, writing, writing about the book for AM New York, which is a free newspaper that is basically like proliferated throughout the New York subways. Um, right. And it I've, gets a I've lot of eyeballs. It. I've picked it up myself before. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it's, you know, it's, it's doing, it's just jumping on those types of opportunities, even if you don't think they're going to lead anywhere. Um, but yeah, we, so, you know, just lots of emails, lots of cold calls, yeah. lots of, of, of booking things and yeah, we're, we're tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, no, it's exa exhausting. that's exhausting. And, we set, uh, up, we set up our own launch event. We did, yeah, I mean, we, we did everything. Absolutely what, everything. What was your launch event like? It was awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we decided, man, this is, by the way, I just got to say, like, this is, this, this, these signs have been going on longer than they usually you do. Know, I, bar I barely yeah, have I heard. Oh, yeah, okay, good, good, because right. it's driving just, me crazy here. So you feel um, a little better. Yeah, all right, good. <laughs> I can't really hear it. Um, so... 
Uh, so we here we wanted to try to do as many things differently as possible with this yeah. book, right? and just and not not just follow the traditional the traditional route. And we and we could talk about some things. We did some we did some things that were very very different. And uh, one of them was was the launch. We didn't originally we were thinking we would just do it at a bookstore like everybody else, and then we started thinking, you know what? It would be cool to do something different. And also, we want to invite a ton of people. And I don't think a ton of people can fit into any bookstore. We used to have a really great bookstore called Book Court somewhat near us in Brooklyn that had a really large event space where Jen had done her last um, two novels. But they closed. And the, the other stores just don't have really large event spaces. So we started looking around at some other options. And you know, here, this, again, goes to, uh, to the, the value of just building those relationships and keeping in touch with people. Many, many, many years ago, we had gone to some party and met a producer of at NBC or ABC News. I can't remember. Her name is Katie Conrad. And, and I stayed in touch with her on social media, saw her a couple times over the years. Anyway, Katie is now like very high up or maybe even the head of PR at WeWork. So I dropped Katie a line. I said, hey, I got the, we've got this book coming out and we would love to do something really big and awesome. Could WeWork provide us a space to do that? And she said she would be very happy to do that. And so she hooked us up with this space in Midtown, this amazing, awesome space. And then we just started calling everybody, either calling in some favors or calling in um, or just reaching out absolutely cold or going uh, hopscotching people. Hey, do you know someone? Do you know someone? Do you know someone? Until we finally got a food sponsor, a liquor sponsor, an awesome bartender named Elliot Clark, who goes by apartment bartender on Instagram to come and like make custom cocktails named after Carmen and Lucas, the characters. Um, what else did we have? We had uh, the liquor well, we, sponsor. Also we were interviewed by, by Stacey London, who is the right. host of What Not to Wear um, yeah. on PLC. I had, um, I had done a story for the New York Times a number of years ago. Um, she was in the story. Um, it was a pretty critical story. I thought she would never want to talk to me again. She was a very good sport. And we actually like kind of, you know, have become, have, became friends. And yeah. um, so we reached out to her to, you know, basically moderate the, the Q&A. And so that was awesome, too. Yeah, I, it, this, this, that experience in particular, it got me thinking, I have this, this, this phrase that like, I feel like I wanted to start printing on t-shirts, um, which is shake every tree. Like yeah. every single tree, like everything, everybody you know, every contact you have, you go out and you shake every one of them. And not everyone will drop some fruit, but enough will that you can build something really amazing. That's right. been our, that's been our attitude. I, I feel like I should start hanging out with you guys more. Um, <laughs> I don't have people like that on my, in my trees. So <laughs> I got, got a few. I got a few. Yeah. You got to start planting the grove. Yeah, exactly right. That's great. So uh, now we work. That is a. It's like a co-working space, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a national chain of co-working spaces. Yeah, we have one here in the Houston area. I haven't gotten to check out yet, but I know. Oh, it's, check it out! I bet it's really cool. The yeah. ones here are very cool. I love those, and I love the idea of those. And I'm half tempted to go work from one, but I'm like, well, I have a really sweet home office. So yeah. other than your not having, great. we're looking at on Zoom at your office, and it's, uh -huh. <laughs> it's custom. My wife has a lot to do with uh, with the thing. She, I, I showed her a picture and said, I want it to look kind of like this, and then she did exactly that uh, with everything that you know I owned. So made it look much nicer than it is. So uh, 
so that's great. I mean, I love that, by the way, that's a, that's a philosophy that I live by. I preach kind of on my show and I, I phrase it because my grandfather, uh, you said, I never got a thing I didn't ask for, even if it's a punch in the mouth or a punch <laughs> in the face, sometimes he'd say, yeah. uh, but you can, you get a lot more when you actually start asking for it, I guess is the, the general idea there. Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I mean, listen, there's, I think that quite a lot of people who, who sit around wondering why they're not getting what they would like uh, have not really taken the proper steps to go and pursue it and to build the, you have to, it, it's all about relationships, not transactions, right? So yeah, um, yeah you're right. You have to go and ask for it. And we did ask for it, but we asked for it after already building the relationship. And, and, That's right. and we started, we started thinking specific. I mean, a lot of these things that we, that we, drew from were relationships prior to us ever selling the book, right? Like we, we've known Stacy a lot longer than we've you know, been, been trying to market this book, but we sold this book. You, 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 you and us are talking uh, in October of 2018. We mm -hmm. sold this book June of 2017. And then there was a long time, a long period of time. And we used all of that time. We started yeah. from, the, I mean, from June 2017, we started taking meetings with people long before we had a book to ever show them. And we used that to our advantage. We would reach out to, for example, you know, so like Hello Giggles, um, which yeah. is, a, you know, so we, we found the books editor of Hello Giggles, Elizabeth Entman, and just reached out cold before and said, listen, hey, we're, you know, we like, we like your work. We are very interested in understanding Hello Giggles and the media landscape that you operate in. We don't know it all that well. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love to talk to you. We have a book coming out, but honestly, it is so early that I don't even have a book to share with you. Like, we're not pitching you our book right now, which I think is a good thing, right? Like, you yeah. utilize that to your advantage. This is not, this is not a pitch meeting. This is really like, I, I, we just, you understand something that we don't, we would it's love It's an to info talk. session. It's an info <laughs> right. session. Yeah. Right? And, um, yeah. and she said yes. And she, we, we took her out to breakfast or something. And- and then she she also revealed to us that she is working on a manuscript, and we volunteered to help her um, connect with some agents. And um, and uh, you know that now we had a relationship, and we stayed in touch on Instagram. And she put us in a very nice list uh, last week. Uh, you know, and um, and it's not like we were doing this again. It, that can sound sneaky and weird, like, you know, oh, you just start this thing way in advance because you just want someone, something from someone, you're like slow walking it. And that's, you know, fine. That's, that's one uncharitable way to look at it. But the, the better way to look at it is that we are always looking to meet new people and to expand our network and to help other creatives. And, um, and she, she was in a space that could be useful to us, but we hope that one day we're in a space that's useful to her too. And the more people you know, the better. Yeah, right. and I'll, I'll say also like, you know, she hadn't read the book yet. If she didn't like the book, she's not gonna feature it. Right, also that. On, right. on, on the website, or if the book like, <laughs> wasn't a fit for the website, like she's not gonna, you know, her reputation is at stake. So right. she's, not gonna, she's not gonna do that. And I'm also pretty sure, you know, we did, we did pass her along. Um, we did help her out with some agent contacts. I don't think anything came of that. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, you know, it wasn't like a quid pro quo. No, no, no. But she was appreciative that we did it. And there were also people who we did that to who, who didn't, did not help us. Yeah. Uh, we went to a lot know. of people who did not, who then in the end did nothing and, and not faulting them. It's just, that's the reality. It's like you, you're casting a lot of nets and you don't always snag fish. So. Right. Yeah. That's right. 
I, I love everything about what you guys are doing though. And this is the stuff that I tell authors all the time that, you know, you think it, there's a real tendency to think, well, I, I, I can't approach people to talk about my book or include my book in their, on their website or magazine or whatever. Cause I'm not a New York time bestseller or I'm not a USA today bestseller or something like that. Uh, or I don't have a publisher backing me. Uh, but you guys are doing, you're handling your marketing just like yeah. any other, any uh, indie Jen, author would. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you get, you got to hear about this. Jen, tell him about the novel aid stand. Okay. So, <laughs> so for my debut novel. I'm already intrigued by the <laughs> way. <laughs> so my debut novel um, came out in 2012. It's called the year of the gadfly. It's a um, novel set at a prep school. It's a mystery. Um, and uh you know, I, it was my debut. I wanted to do anything I possibly could to try to sell that book. So I did a couple of things. The first was that I went out on the street corner. Um, I set up what I called the novel aid stand, which was basically a lemonade stand for books. I made cookies and I made big signs and I set myself up on the street corner, like on a busy street. I think probably ran afoul of a number of New York City ordinances, but whatever. And, whatever. <laughs> and just sat there, sat there for hours on the weekends. And people would, co- people would come up to me because what, what is this thing? What are you doing here? And, and if you bought a book, you got a homemade cookie. <laughs> Um, and I, I would sell more books in an hour that way than I would sell at a lot of the bookstores that I did readings at. Um, and in fact, I got a lot of press out of the fact that I was doing this because, you know, it's kind of like a wacky thing to, to be doing. Um, the other thing I did to try to sell that book, um, was, uh, I gave myself a book club challenge to try to do a hundred book clubs in, in a month. Um, I, I was able to do 76 book clubs in 30, 30 days. Um, okay. That was also exhausting. But again, and that, that also itself like got a lot of press, which then got the book out there. Yeah. So, you know, it's really, it's like, it's all about hustling. And like, you know, the yeah. publisher, I love, at that time I was with Houghton Mifflin. They were an amazing publisher. They, you know, they really did a lot to help, you know, promote the book. But I also felt like there's only so much that they can do. And I've got to like, you know, this is my ultimately like, this is, I'm the CEO of this company. Like this is my product. I have to push it however I can. And if that means I'm going to stand on the street corner and hawk my book, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Okay. See, you hit it. And that, and I know you guys in particular will appreciate this, but this, you know, you said I'm the CEO of this business. You're, you're the books, the, the publishing, all that is your, company your product your brand all of that uh so i love that approach very entrepreneurial yeah you have to be you have to have to i mean it's funny i i was talking to so my day job is is editor-in-chief of entrepreneur magazine and we have a books division entrepreneur press Mm -hmm. and i was talking to the the head vanessa who heads up that that division and uh, she was asking me about what I was doing to prepare for Mr. Nice Guy, and I was explaining the bazillion things that we were doing and all the ways that we were putting stuff out, out there. And she said, that's exactly what you need to do, and that her greatest frustration is authors who are afraid to sell, that they yes. just think of themselves as the writer, and they, do, they can't think of themselves as a salesperson, and they get shy about asking for favors, and they get shy about putting themselves out there. And you have you have to do both. Like you, yeah. you are not just making a you're not making a product. You're running a business, 
and that business is the book. Um, and it could be other things, right? I mean, you could take the book and then try to build a business on top of it. It could, but um, you know, I mean, like I guess if we wanted to, Jen and I could try to leverage this book into doing um, tours, talking about relationships and good communication and um, and all that stuff. And we, we we haven't really explored that yet because we have um, these other careers. But it, but you know, we could, right? It's it, yeah, it would be a yeah. thing. It would be a way to to extend this into more of an even um, more of a business concept. But just on the book alone, you have to think of it like you are running a business. And that means you got to go out and sell, 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 sell. And, uh, and I, neither of us are shy about that. And, um, and, and I think that, that, that everybody who you work with, your agent, your publisher, your editor, everyone will be more excited to work with you if they see that drive and that willingness in you. Yes. That, that if, if nothing else, I hope. Uh, people take uh, take that away with them. Uh, we are we're up against time, uh, and this went really fast, which is both fortunate and unfortunate. But uh, <laughs> this is fantastic. So, where can people let, let's work on selling this some more? Where can people oh, yeah. find you and this book online? Yeah. So, I mean, online, obviously Amazon and we've got, um, you know, we've got the, the paperback, we've got the Kindle and there's the, there's the audio book on audible. Um, Jason and I actually read the columns. Uh, they've got an actor oh, wow. reading the narrative. We read the columns. It's super embarrassing. Cause like I said before, that's where all the sex is. Um, mom and dad don't, don't get the audio book. Um, and then, you know, I would go to the website of your favorite independent bookstore and see if they can order it for you and okay. send yeah. it to you because really want to support the, those independent bookstores. Right. And it isn't, it isn't stores, it isn't stores too, but we, we don't, we, we don't yeah, have the full, yeah, we don't have the full scale of the stores. So it's, it's certainly easier to find online anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, but Mr. Nice Guy, it's got a big purple cover. Can't miss it. And, um, and then you can get in touch with us on social, uh, Jason, or uh, I'm at Hey Pfeiffer, H-E-Y-F-E-I-F-E-R on Twitter and Instagram. And Jen is prop Jen, P-R-O-P-J-E-N on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, and you guys and if, also have, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, if, if any of listeners, if, if any of you guys have book clubs, we will totally Skype into your book club. We would love to Skype into your book club. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, totally. And I'm just going to make some sort of like, uh, offer here, which is that if you if you want some uh, some consulting on how to you know think entrepreneurially, um, buy a bunch of our books and then tell us about it, and then we will feel so indebted that we will hop on the phone with you and help. You. Yeah, absolutely. We, have a we deal. will do that. You have a deal, sir. I will take you both up on that. <laughs> uh, okay, fantastic. You guys also have at Mr. Nice Guy on Twitter and uh, Mr. Nice Guy Novel .com. Yes, correct. You do, you do have all that. that. Very good. <laughs> just want to make sure it's going to be in the show notes. Everybody, just relax. You'll be able to find it. Uh, all right. Well, I uh, I have absolutely adored talking to both of you. I uh, I'm now going to read this book. This is not the the genre I typically read. I think, but I, I'm 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 actually very much looking forward to it. Even the embarrassing parts. <laughs> Thank so, you. Uh, especially the embarrassing parts. Especially That's the right. embarrassing parts. I'll get it on Audible. And, uh, and, and my wife and I will listen to it on the next road trip we take. 
that, nothing great. awkward about that. No, nothing awkward about that. No, <laughs> make sure to make sure to turn up the volume really loud. Turn up the windows. <laughs> yeah. I'm, as I'm rolling through podunk towns in, in the southern U.S. I will yeah, yeah. I hear, they're, I hear they're really into this kind of stuff. They're really into this. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on, taking the time to talk to me. Um, and uh, everybody else, if you're here if right now, you're probably hearing the groovy bridge music, which means you can dance in place at will. And we're going to talk to you on the other side. We'll see you then. Hear your book the way it was meant to be heard. With a fully custom soundtrack based on your material. An album of music that perfectly fits your characters, your settings. Hear your book today. SonataInscribe.com Hey, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jason and Jennifer. Um, a lot to unpack in that one. There's a lot in there. Uh, and it's all very useful. So I hope, uh, you know, listen to it twice. Go back and uh, check it out. And of course, check out their book, Mr. Nice Guy. Get that, MrNiceGuyNovel.com. Uh, you'll find a link to that in the show notes of this episode at WordslingerPodcast.com. Make sure you're going over there, by the way. Go check that out. That is my... That's associated with my uh, author site, so you can actually pick up copies of my books, including my newest book. It's releasing, uh, it's on pre-order right now, it's going to be available December 15th. It's called The Antarctic Forgery. It's a new Dan Kotler thriller. I'm very excited about that. Uh, <clears throat> go go uh, pick up your copy. It's, it's, uh, it was a lot of fun to pull that together. It was a little tougher than my other books. Uh, for reasons I'll go into in a moment. But for now, I'm going to mute this. One second, hold on. Sorry for that pause. Uh, and if you're watching on the video, you saw me coughing into my hand. <clears throat> Sorry about that. I didn't want to do that in your ear. Um, so, the new book is exciting. Um, it had its challenges. Real quick, I'll go through what happened there. Um, during the process, so I started the book earlier in the year. I had a whole goal. I had a whole plan of, of knocking out a ton of books this year. And uh, the reality caught up with me when we started to move. Uh, we had to pack and move from our place in Pearland to a new place in Sugarland, Texas. Um, we had to deal with some stuff with the RV. Uh, I had a bunch of travel in there. <laughs> so, And then I had a whole... like. Um, technological meltdown which actually knocked the show off the rails for a uh, good solid almost two months uh, not just the show but practically everything else I do um, my author site was down my the podcast was down my email was down everything just com completely collapsed all because I was trying to make things a little easier and better uh, which seems to be my lot in life <laughs> anytime I try to improve my processes uh, I have to go through a period of implosion we'll say so uh the book had its challenges um i was writing about a topic that i wasn't all that keen on uh for a while uh i wrote about antarctica and if you read the author's note at the end of this book i actually talk about how i have just very little interest in antarctica <laughs> so you're going to ask yourself well why did you write this book kevin and the, the answer to that is um i wanted to challenge myself uh i needed a landscape that fit the idea that I had in mind, uh, Antarctica was perfect for that. And since writing the book, I was a little hard on Antarctica, I think. There's a, there's a great deal of history and things that I, that I didn't uh, dip into, really, because I was only learning it uh, in the process of uh, researching the book 
as I went, basically. Um, <clears throat> I had done some research beforehand, and uh, I really should have... I really should have dug a little deeper on some things because I think I could have added that stuff in. But the good news here is that uh, that stuff may appear in a future book. So um, re research is never wasted. <laughs> so anyway, check that out. It's on pre-order right now. You can actually get it at a discounted price on pre-order for $2.99 rather than $4.99. So this is the time to pick up a copy. Uh, go check that out. Now, um... In addition to that, I uh, I went through recently. I just finished yesterday, actually. Oh, sorry for that. I shook the camera. Yesterday, I completed the Dan Brown Masterclass. Um, if you're not familiar with Masterclass, it's a program that, that offers, uh, it brings in experts in various fields, well-known people, celebrities usually, uh, who talk about what they do. So you have... You know, I took the, the James Patterson uh, master class, <clears throat> and I did uh, Steve Martin's class. Uh, they have Chef Ramsey is a, uh, a class on there. Um, several Aaron Sorkin, whom I'm actually taking that class now. Uh, so it's a it's a great program. Um, and right now you can actually I believe you can get in because I got in at, at the price of one course for an entire year's worth of of courses. So, uh, I spent $90 rather than $200 and, uh, I'm actually, uh, able to take any of the courses that they have. And I was able to give one of those to uh, a friend. So <clears throat> if you, this is the time to check it out actually, but the Dan Brown course was fantastic. I don't think it really covered any new ground per se. Um, but it did, uh, it provided some perspective. I, I like knowing how other authors do this stuff. For one, it can be affirming when you find out that the stuff that you do, that you think you're just ad hocing and improvising as you go, turns out to be what other authors do as well. That's pretty uh, encouraging. Uh, but it also is, uh, it's nice to see how other people do things because you can learn something just from their process rather than, you know, here's how I approach uh, plotting or craft or whatever. Just knowing that this particular author gets up every day at four and uh, and has a, uh, a smoothie, a kale smoothie, and you know does his thing, um, you might take some inspiration from that. Learn those habits, or learn a new habit of your own. So, I think it's a great course. I think you should take it as an author, not just as a thriller author, but uh, you know any type of writing. I think this is a good uh, course to take and uh, absorb take some inspiration from it. Um, as a thriller writer, uh, his process is very similar to my own. So I was, I was glad to hear that. And I, I learned some things about how he does it that, um, I'm going to incorporate into my own routines, <clears throat> uh, my own process. <clears throat> but one of the things, and I apologize here, I'll mute again. Aren't you glad to do that instead of hacking in your ear? Um, one of the things he was very keen on, very big on, was process, sticking to the process. And uh, I'll paraphrase here because I don't know exactly how he worded it, but he, like me, he does not believe in um, uh, writer's block. <laughs> Maybe speaking block, but not writer's block. He doesn't believe in that. He believes that the cure for writer's block is to trust your process. So um, if you're writing and you think the words stink, if you think everything is trash, it's terrible, um, you know, you're, you're just doing a lousy job, just keep going. Just finish it. Finish, the, finish what you're writing. Uh, 
because you can always go back and edit. You can always improve later, right? But most of the time, if you write it and you set it aside, you can come back to it later and you might discover that it's actually much better than you thought. That it's maybe it needs a tweak here and there, but it's actually pretty good because um, we can be pretty hard on ourselves as writers. So I think that's great. I think that idea of trusting your process is a very valid um, idea, something that I myself uh, uh, tell people and uh, believe. Um, and in that light, I wanted to talk about my own process, and it's a little it's a little convoluted. Things have changed for me quite a bit over the years. When I wrote 30 Day Author, I was very adamant that you should never edit while you're writing. It would exponentially increase the odds that you won't finish the book, and I still believe that's true. Uh, there is a slight caveat now. I'm a little softer on it now, because after encountering uh, Dean Wesley Smith's process of looping, uh, which I call looping, he calls, I can't think of the term he uses, but uh, he, he loops back, he writes 500 words, he loops back, he edits, he continues writing. I think that's a great process. Now, I have a modified version of that, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, but first, I want to talk about the, the structure of how I do what I do. So I use Scrivener. And don't use Scrivener's built-in um, templates, actually. I open a blank uh, template. And the reason I do that is because I don't. I have my own way of inserting uh, front matter and end matter. Um, I do my formatting outside of Scrivener. I know that there's an integration between Scrivener and Vellum now, but I, I still prefer to uh, compile, you know, compile the document and import it into Vellum uh, manually. Um, <clears throat> that's me. So... You do you, you do what you um, are comfortable doing, what works for you. This is how I do it. Uh, so I open Vellum, and I don't. I open a blank template, and I, I start with Chapter 1. I create a folder called Chapter 1. Within the folder, I create a scene called 1-1. So even if I only have one scene in that chapter, it's going to be called 1-1. That helps me keep track later um, as I'm editing, uh, which I'll talk about in a moment. But that, that's my sort of nomenclature for my chapters and scenes. So every chapter gets named, uh, it gets a folder that gets named after it, and every scene is named for the chapter and its, its uh, position in order. Um, and I write, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I have scene breaks occasionally, so I'll have multiple scenes in a chapter usually, but sometimes I only have one, one scene. <clears throat> I still call it X-1. Chapter 3 will be 3-1, 15, 15-1, and then 15-2, 15-3. I've never had more than three scenes in a chapter, I think. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> so that's the way I structure the book, and I, I write. Um, now, I used to have a daily word target. I still do. Uh, I still aim for a minimal number of words, a minimum number of words, typically in the like 2,500 range. Um, but what I, I, I've been doing this for so long that I no longer have to do that in order to maintain my productivity. I recommend people do that, set a word target, um, because as you go, you can push yourself to try to beat that target every day. And eventually you become really good at this. You become really good at not only hitting your target, but going above and beyond. And eventually the number of words you're able to produce in a day will go up because that's, that's practice. So having that target is really good when you're first starting out. Um, it's not so bad when you're a veteran too, but uh, especially when you're starting out, set your word target so that you can 
uh, beat it. <laughs> and you hear crazy things, 5,000 words a day or whatever. And I'll do 5,000 sometimes. I'll do 10,000 sometimes. Sometimes I'll do 20 or more. Um, but to get there consistently, you would uh, start with a target. Maybe you're only going to do 500 a day. And you do that for a month. And then you say, I'm going to do 1,000 a day. And you just increase like that. I don't do this anymore. Uh, I don't track the words that way anymore. And the reason I don't, because I know every day I'm going to be putting words on the page uh, because I've just made it a habit. My, <clears throat> my sort of goals and habits now are um, I treat writing like any other morning discipline. And uh, so I, I advocate writing every single day, um, seven days a week. But if you want to take time off, there's no, there's no reason not to. You can, you can take the weekends off. You can take holidays, birthdays, uh, whatever. Um, but I, the way I approach it is, I, and I said this in an interview recently, <laughs> I like to, if I'm going to skip writing, I want to skip writing the same way I would skip brushing my teeth or taking a shower, which is to say reluctantly and with a bit of disgust. <laughs> so I, I try to write every day. And on the days that I don't, uh, I try to feel a little uncomfortable with myself and it's not hard cause I, it's just an automatic. Um, so even if I'm only writing a hundred words that day, at least I try to write something and I recommend you do the same. Uh, set your word target, you know, write 2,500 words, write 1500 words, write a thousand words, whatever. But, um, as long as you write something every day, you're going to be good. So get yourself into that habit, just like brushing your teeth or, uh, taking a shower or, putting on pants before you go out into the world, make sure you are uh, doing your writing each day. I do it in the morning. You may do it at night. Maybe it's some, maybe it's the last thing you do before you go to bed. Maybe you do it midday at lunch. It doesn't really matter as long as you're consistent about it. <clears throat> so that's a part of my process, making sure I'm writing something every day. And uh, I use looping. And the way I use looping it's a little different from Dean Wesley Smith. He writes 500 words, he loops back, he writes, he edits, and then he writes 500 more and he repeat. What I do is I write my scenes for the day. Uh, whatever word count that happens to turn out to be, um, I'm typically, you know, I write, I get up at around 4 in the morning. I'm usually, basically, I, I do my morning routine, do a bunch of stuff around the house, whatever do my reading and all that. And I generally get started on the actual writing at six o'clock and I write typically from six to nine because after nine, I usually have other stuff I need to take care of for the day. Um, and that's a comfortable amount of time. That's a good three hour space. If I can get started a little earlier, I do. Um, but, uh, typically six o'clock is when other places open. So if I'm not going to write from home, I'm going to go to Starbucks or something like that. Uh, six o'clock is a good, good target. <clears throat> so I, I do that writing. And, uh, uh, the way I start is I, I loop back to the writing I did the day before, take all the scenes I wrote the day before and I open Grammarly. Um, uh, I spit the scenes out from Scrivener as usually RTF files, um, or, or as word docs, but either way you bring those into Grammarly one at a time, run the assistant. And the reason I like Grammarly, um, you still got to use your brain. You still got to know what you're doing. Uh, you should frequently Google things to make sure that you're making the right choices, but Grammarly will help me catch the sort of dumbheaded stuff that I overlooked. Um, minor spelling errors, that sort of thing. 
uh, wrong word choice, uh, comma usage, you know, it helps a lot with that. It's frequently wrong about comma usage, I should point out, but, but it, it helps, it helps me to be aware of the manuscript. Um, and so I go through that process, I check it all off, then I keep it in Grammarly, and I do a read-through and a, a rewrite in Grammarly. Um, I add a lot of stuff, typically. Uh, it's good to add it in there because it'll, it'll keep track of it, it'll, you know, keep it clean for you. I don't want to write in Grammarly, but I do, I do my edits in Grammarly, and I, I add generally a sentence here, a paragraph there, or whatever. Not, usually nothing major, uh, but just focusing the writing, writing for clarity, um, writing to punch things up a little. It's a good place to do that. <clears throat> I spit that back out, and uh, what I love about Grammarly is it'll save that file. It amends the file name with .edited. So it'll be, you know, 1-1.edited.doc. And I'll take that file, and I'll drop it into Scrivener again, right on top, you know, right above the original scene, and then I delete the original scene, because I've already got a copy of it in my, in this folder I'm working from, where I spit it out from, uh, from Scrivener in the first place. So I've got an archive of that original version, with its errors and everything intact, and then I've got the edited version right below it, and so I put the edited version in Scrivener, I delete the old, um, original, and I move to the next scene. The next scene gets the same treatment, I run the assistant, I fix things, I use my brain, <laughs> and then I do a rewrite. I spit it out as a dot edited, and I bring it back into Scrivener. So what I've got is as I go, this does a couple of things. As I go, it's building the book, and it, that is the final version of that scene. Doesn't mean I won't change things. Doesn't mean I won't move it somewhere else in the document. I've done that numerous times. Uh, restructured it, reorganized, uh, put, put scenes further into the book or whatever. Um, it just means that I can trust that, that that has been looked at and that it's clean. So I move on from there. Um, the next benefit of that is that it, get, it helps me build momentum. So now that I've looked at this document, these scenes, I've got the story back in my head. I've got the rhythm and the voice and everything right back in my head. So now it's time to go back into Scrivener, open a new chapter, new, new scene, and start writing. Um... And then that's when I typically will do, most days it seems like I'm hitting about 2,500 words on average. Um, I used to aim for 5,000, and really between the rewrites and the new stuff, I am hitting, you know, anywhere from three to 5,000 words a day. Uh, probably, usually closer to 5,000. Uh, so it's quite a bit of rewriting, uh, but it's all clean. <laughs> and then the new stuff, if I'm on a roll, I've got the time, I don't have anything pressing to do. I may stick around Starbucks for a little while or, or wherever I happen to be, and I will um, push on, write some extra words, come back in the afternoon, do some more. Um, so this has taken a lot of the pressure off of the writing for me, which is great. Uh, it makes it more fun again. It's just more fun. This, this last book, uh, Antarctic Forgery, um, this process is what got me back to it because I'd gotten about halfway through the book and just it just got overwhelmed. Um, as I'm sure you have experienced, I just got to a point where I was in the muddy middle and I didn't want to touch it anymore. I was tired of it. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. Well, didn't like being in Antarctica. <laughs> didn't like, um, you know, the scenario I'd put my characters in. 
but coming back to it with a fresh perspective, um, after, uh, af- actually after attending the 20 books, uh, to 50k conference in Vegas, you know, I came back energized and I got into it and I decided that I was going to focus more on the fun of it. I was going to focus on having a good time with it rather than, uh, stressing about it. Um, and trying to push through anything, you know. So I, I came through and did use, I implemented this process, not dissimilar from what I was doing before, but with some with some new twists. The Grammarly thing is a new twist, um, and it just re-energized me to uh, get back into the story. Knocked it out in a week or two. Went from being stalled on it to having it done, and then I uh, set up the pre-order, got everything going, and I immediately rolled into. A brand new book, and the new one is uh, in progress. Um, <clears throat> I've got about half of it written at this point, and uh, I'm excited, very, very excited. It's in. I can see doing this. So this is going to be a, the kind of process that it doesn't. It doesn't stress me out. It doesn't exhaust me. I don't feel uh, overwhelmed. Uh, it's a fun uh, way to approach the writing, and so I I'm going to keep doing it. And you need to find that process for yourself. So. Uh, once I've got the book finished, because I, I did this loop back and edit thing as I went, the book is done. I don't have to, I don't have to go back and reread it and edit it again because I've already done that part. So, uh, now I go to my street team and I, well, the first thing I do is I, I drop this into vellum where I have my front matter and in matter. So I have my little template. This is why I didn't use the, those, uh, templates in Scrivener. I have my everything set up, ready to go. All my uh, the also by uh, section, which has all the books by me, um, the you know sort of CTAs and other things that I use to push other books. Um, all that stuff is set up and ready for me. So I drop the document in. I let Vellum do its thing. I check, double check everything, make sure everything's formatted the way I wanted. Nothing dropped out. Um, you know, looks good, feels good. Everybody's good, and then I uh, spit that out as uh, eBooks, the uh, EPUB, Mobi, PDF. I upload that to BookFunnel, where I can create a page for people to download it for free, and then I take that link and I go to my street team and tell them all about it. Tell them what I'm doing, what my deadlines are for having the content back, and uh, give them that link, and they're able to download and read the book and give me feedback. And then for the next few weeks. It's it's feedback and updates until my deadline. Um, and uh, surprisingly, this round, um, normally I have tons and tons of typos to fix, tons and tons of glitches that I have to fix. No matter how carefully I edited, uh, I send it to the street team and I get a ton of this stuff back. This time, no. This time, because of the Grammarly thing, I caught 99% of those errors. And I think I've had, I could probably count the number of things uh, they've given me to fix on one hand-ish, maybe six fingers. So I'd say a good 99% of those errors got fixed automatically uh, during that edit process um, in a very stress-free way. So uh, something to think about. This, these tools, there's lots of tools. Pro Writing Aid is another one I'm going to try out. Um, looking forward to the, trying that. Uh, Hemingway is another tool I could use. I haven't really dug in on that. But there are lots of ways to approach this. Uh, Microsoft Word even. I, I use Microsoft Word to do a quick scan and replace of certain things. Every now and then I type uh, Coulter instead of Kotler. And so I do a quick uh, find and replace for that. I find and replace double spaces after a period. 
you know, these, these little maintenance things like I do that help, uh, make the book better. And, um, and then that's it. Uh, once, once I've gotten the feedback and I've implemented it, I make sure I get that final version up, uh, everywhere it needs to go live. And that's the process. And because I have this process, it makes it a lot easier and I can, I can improvise between the notes. Okay. I can, I can change things up and I'm going to, eventually I'm going to write all this down. Probably, um, I was thinking I might update 30 day author, but I may just create a whole new book that is this writing process, uh, outlining, uh, not specifically you have to use this software or do these things, but rather allow people to, uh, see the skeleton of this and implement it in their own work. Uh, in whatever way is comfortable for them. I think I can make that a reality. So that is it. Um, I wanted to give you that cause I just, I felt like after going through Dan Brown's course, um, the thing, the takeaway for me that I valued most was this, this idea of trusting the process. And, uh, I think a lot of authors don't necessarily have a process. So this is a place for you to start. This is where you can, you know, you can uh, you can steal from me liberally and uh, and create a process of your own. Just make sure the the key components are are the process has to work. It it can't be one of these things where you have a eighty percent or ninety percent success rate with completing a book. It has to be if I follow the process, a hundred percent of the time I get a book. The process has to be easy to implement. Can't have a lot of overhead either in time or money or or stress. Um, it has to uh, work with the rest of the way your life works. You know, you have to you have to be able to implement this in your ongoing life. It's just part of your life, and uh, it has to be um, repeatable. So, uh, and probably a few other a few other rules <laughs> that I'll come up with when I write it all down. That's it. Um, I hope that's useful to you. I hope you got something out of this uh, the interview. Because uh, Jason and Jennifer were were great guests, um, I really enjoyed their company. Um, very interested to see how things go with the book. I, I love the sort of indie marketing approach that they're taking. Um, so be sure you check out their book, check that out, and uh, and that's it. So um, coming up, we got thanks uh, Thanksgiving is past us, but we got Christmas and New Year's coming up. Uh, you may re- recall years past, it gets really tough for me to actually produce episodes, uh, during December. So, uh, I'm going to give it a shot because I had such a long hiatus because of technical difficulties. And we'll see if I can knock out another couple of episodes for you, um, for this month, but there's a real good chance I won't be able to. And if, just in case I don't, I want you to have a wonderful Christmas, a wonderful new year, be safe, uh, I want you to know just how special you are to me. Uh, I care about everybody in this community. Uh, all my listeners, all the authors, um, you're all remarkable people for what you do and for what you, you keep coming back to this stuff. It's just crazy how uh, dedicated you are. So uh, all my love to you. God bless each and every one of you. Have a wonderful Christmas just in case I don't see you. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. Take care. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Wordslinger Podcast. Now, you can support this show by visiting wordslingerpodcast.com. That's where you're going to find back episodes, books by me, and links to anything and everything Wordslinger. And be sure to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. I'm Kevin Tomlinson. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.